You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Tech Fan Podcast number 380. A lot of cool CES stuff. And this episode is sponsored by MacSales.com. Check them out. MacSales.com. Tech Fan Podcast number 380. I am Tim Robertson, and hey, there's David Cohen. Hello. How are you? I'm great. I got a, uh, I got an IM, I guess you call it, a private message, whatever, on Twitter, yeah. at the MyMac feed, and it said, basically, glad you're talking more about tech. Uh, you need more focus. And I replied, I can burp into the microphone every episode if I want to. I own the damn thing. <laughs> Tell me what I need. <laughs> Unless you're paying for the show, buddy. <laughs> well, okay. Devil's advocate time. That means somebody saying, I would like you to have more focus, and I would enjoy it more if you did that. But you yeah. know, this is the internet, so everyone slangs around, I need, you must... Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, you know what I, I need. Would, I would like. I would like to think the person who sent you that message didn't mean it that way. No, I think he did. Um, technically, it was a her, but okay. um, you know what I need to have fun doing it. I don't. There, there's a reason that we didn't go back to the MyMac podcast. You know, I. It's. Number one, Guy and Gaz are doing such a great job. I didn't want to go back and disrupt that. Yeah. But, you know, we could have gone and just done that show again. Yeah. We wanted to do something different. Um, and that kind of really hit home when I did, I don't know if you listened to this or not, but I did Geekiest Show Ever, number 300, this past week. It just came out. Yeah, I haven't I haven't listened to it yet, but it's on my list. Sure it is. Um <laughs> You want me to send you a screenshot of my list? <laughs> it was uh, it was fun to to go back and do a show that you know was created way back then, way back yeah. in twenty ten, no two thousand and seven, no, yeah, that might be it. I don't know, no two thousand and nine because this is coming up on the ten year anniversary. Um, and they were under. They, they didn't really understand where the show kind of originated and why it originated, which was at the time we had quite a few hosts on the MyMac podcast, primarily me, you, uh, Chad Perry, Guy Searle. Uh, we'd have regulars like Mark Rudd and Owen Rubin coming on. We had a lot of people. Yep. And the discussion before and after the actual show, in my opinion, was much more fun. Mm -hmm. Just talking about all kinds of stuff. And so that's where the geekiest show ever started. And then when um, I left that show in, in very good hands uh, to do other stuff, that was still in the back of my mind when TechFan was created. Now, originally, TechFan was just that, talking about tech. But what's tech? It could be anything. Yep. And it really doesn't matter, 
you know, we don't have a set in stone coming down from the mountain, burning bush, um, 10 commandments of what the show has to be. Yeah. It's just whatever Tim and David find entertaining and worthwhile talking about that week. And I think because we're both guys are into tech, uh, I think most of what we talk about is obliquely related to tech in any case. I mean, we wouldn't be able to watch all these TV shows and movies and things like that if it wasn't for the technology that nowadays lets you do that. If we were doing this show, assuming you could do a podcast 25 years ago, yeah, we wouldn't be able to do talk about all the media stuff because you just couldn't watch it. You only watched it when it was on the TV, when it was transmitted, and maybe you could get videos. um, And so what you could afford to rent and watch from Blockbuster and everything, and you couldn't couldn't watch stuff when you were travelling, and you you couldn't listen to audio, your own audio, when you were traveling and all that stuff. It, you know, technology has enabled us to talk about these sorts of things for better or better. I, I, was, I was just about to say the exact same yeah. thing. Technology has enabled us to do these things. Yeah. Like this morning, I watched a little bit of YouTube, um, and then I thought, I just kind of want to be entertained a little bit. So I started watching the latest Avengers movie again. Mm-hmm. I've seen it twice. Yeah. It's so freaking good. I enjoy it so good. From the music to the CGI effects to the acting. I just I just think Marvel's been hitting it out of the park so good. But what struck me is I, I purchased it on iTunes, right? Yeah. And I believe it's 4K. But regardless, it's extremely high-quality video. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching it on my 27-inch monitor from you know, two foot away. And it dawned on me, you know, 15 years ago, I couldn't have got such a high quality video on a computer screen, let alone that it's a file on the computer. It's not some disc that I put in. It's not coming in over the air. This is just a file that's sitting on my computer that I can double click and watch in you know ultra hd quality with great sound and it's just amazing and that to get this movie i didn't even leave the house i clicked a button and it took the money right out of my account and downloaded it to my computer that's amazing technology that we'd be that would have been 20 episodes of the my mac podcast when we started yeah and yet we take it for granted we just yeah we do um I mean, I mean, it's interesting. CES is going on this week, and they're, they're all talking about new TVs, this and high definition, that, and all, and all this sort of thing. And and the the kind of the level of quality you are spoiled with with the cheapest TV you buy in a supermarket oh, yeah. today is way and above what we watched uh, on TV for twenty, thirty years. You can see it any any time you go back and watch an old TV show. Oh yeah, yeah? even stuff that was considered to be you know pretty well well funded and made at the time it looks like garbage and it's just because the way it was made back then was targeted at televisions where you couldn't tell the difference so it didn't yep. need to be any higher yeah no. absolutely and both of those topics we're going to hit on this episode number one we're going to talk about ces a little bit here um but i think the big thing is there's two big developments that came out of ces and or at least the week of ces one of them is taking the smarts out of smart TVs would actually increase the cost of them. And AirPlay 2 seeming to take over CES. So even though Apple didn't have an, 
official presence at CES. They made a lot of news at CES. So yeah. those two things are worth. Let's start at, uh, in reverse order. AirPlay 2 is yeah. being rolled out into a lot of devices, David. I think that this is uh, an obviously a very intelligent move by Apple. This is something that they should have done years ago when the smart TV boom just started. Instead, they wait till 2019 when everybody else has already got smart TVs. They're already out there in the world. Some of those smart TVs has content that you can actually download to add functionality to it. For instance, I downloaded the Plex app on my LG TVs, which is awesome. Mm. But why wasn't this available before from Apple? It's Is it too little too late? Well, it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, Apple's also developing its own content, kind of like Netflix. Well, that's done. why they're rolling these yeah. apps out. So, so, so obviously, they do need to broaden their um, broaden their reach for that if they want that to be successful. Look, I think Apple's original strategy was we'll keep it close to our platform. Hopefully, people will buy our devices um, and will become the dominant platform, just in the way the iPod did back in the day. That has not played out, no matter how much they've tried. Um, no, Netflix showed them the error of their ways there. I mean, because yeah. you can get Netflix on anything, yeah. anything. If if it has a screen, there's a freaking Netflix app that you can download. And that's the smart way. Netflix didn't make their own tablets or televisions or little boxes that you connect to your TV. They gave an app to all of these hardware makers and said, hey, you can install this and put it on there. And it's value added to your hardware. And it, and it's hard it's hard not to see this move in light of, of the general move at Apple towards more services over the last sort of twelve eighteen months and and particularly this most recent announcement they just had to made where um, you know they were talking up services revenue because the the hardware revenues had not grown as quickly um, as as they were expecting so the you know obviously this this deal they I mean they've got everybody including Samsung one of their biggest rivals. Um, in in um, in the phone space with this deal, this deal has not just been cobbled together in the last couple of weeks. This has been on, no. on the cards for a while, yeah. But I I think I think they are tra- they are making the same transition many other companies are doing, which is saying you can't rely purely on hardware sales to prop the company up. You've got to mm-hmm. be broader than that. And services is clearly an area where they think they can. Um, they can do that it's going to be interesting to see because apple does not have a great record in services um sometimes the it, it's it, you know somebody's followed apple for the last sort of 15 20 years sometimes it seems like their devices succeed despite the services rather than because of the services uh, uh, i think a lot of that has to do with that they abandon uh, a seemingly important stuff to them overnight they'll announce something at a at, a, at an event this is our new hotness, greatness, blah, blah, blah. Look how great this this online um, workflow thing works. And then they never talk about it again, ever. Yeah. It, it just disappears into the void. Yeah, I, I, it seems to me that I mean, we've talked before. It, it does seem to me that um, the way Apple is organized means that everyone is incentivized to work on something new. Um, yeah. And they, they don't they don't put the right resources into maintaining something. Um, Hi, Siri. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a new yeah. focus on Siri as well. Uh, recently, they've hired a new guy from Google. Um, so, again, we'll see how it goes. Things are clearly changing there. And, um, you know, this is... Put it, put it this way. If you've asked either of us and anybody followed Apple 
two weeks before this happened, would this ever happen? You'd have gone, mm, well, maybe one day, maybe when they're forced to. Um, none of it, nobody saw it coming. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you know, it, it, the other thing is, is what, with a Apple TV as a result of this, you know, is that a product that's now on life support? I think it's a product they should kill completely. I mean, yeah. clearly nobody wants a, another little standalone box. Even Amazon's Fire stuff is an app on smart TVs. Why go to the expense of making hardware to deliver a service like, you know, Amazon Prime or Apple TV or whatever you want to call it, when you could just let the hardware makers of the televisions that are already in every store in the world, why not let them just put it in there? Well, well... The- the problem is, is that very often they do a garbage job of that. Um, I, I would be sad to see all the standalone boxes disappear, because I personally would rather continue to use standalone boxes and rely on what's in the TV. Um, I wouldn't. I, I'm beyond it now. I really am. I don't care about. I don't. I don't even have the latest Apple TV. There it, it was. It's pointless to me. No, it I didn't offer anything that I didn't get from the old one. And if it was an app on my smart TV, I'd actually probably use it more often than yep. what I use Apple TV currently. Well, I, look, I understand that. Um, but, you know, as we move on to this next story, we'll see that there are good reasons sometimes for not relying on what's in the smart TV. Yep, and that is, go ahead with that pretty so the, great segue, by the way. Yeah, this was this was an interview that The Verge did with the uh, chief exec of Vizio. Now, so Vizio make... Um, Inexpensive televisions. Yeah, kind of, you know, the, the, the kind of the ones I mentioned before, the sort of stuff you're going to find in Walmart and Costco, um, perhaps, perhaps, I mean, in Britain we, we sometimes find TVs in the supermarket and that sort of thing. We, Vizio doesn't sell over here, thank God, but um, plenty of other cheap-end manufacturers do. Um, and Actually, Vizio TVs are not bad, i got to be honest. I came close to buying one both times i ended up getting an lg and and to be honest i didn't pick lg because it was lg yeah it just was for the price and the performance and the features it just made more sense at the time but yeah i've seen these cheap vizio tvs and they're actually quite good well yeah that goes back to something i said right at the beginning of the show is that is that these these cheap tvs you know hit Quality wise, hit the, hit the mark much much more easily than old cheap TVs used to, um, yeah. and the battle at the high high end is for quite um, sometimes for quite esoteric features. But the problem is, is that CTO here, um, a Vizio, was interviewed on on the Verge's podcast, uh, and basically, what he came out and said, reading well, I'm saying reading between the lines, he actually said it fairly straight, is that. They will. They are constantly looking to monetize the user. Um, and while he kept on saying, "Oh, we're leaders in privacy and everything like that," basically their TVs are designed from the from scratch to get as much information as possible from the user, including analyzing the content that you're watching. Yeah. Yeah, because that's revenue for them. And it, and he came out and said, "Said, well, what? Some people uh, they verge asking this. Well, some people said they just want a dumb TV without all the smart stuff." He said, "Well, yeah, we could do that if we want, but it would be more expensive." The problem yeah. I have with this is that nobody's asking. Anyway, everyone likes a bargain, but nobody's saying my TV has to be as cheap as possible. Yeah, I and, think they and, are saying that when that's what's 
driving the market. They're saying that when they don't know what bargain they're making for that. That's the problem. You know, oh, I, a good I, point I, there. I hate, I hate whenever a company or an industry is criticised. Yeah, we see this all, all the time. The food industry in the UK, and they go, "Well, we're responding to customer demand." That's bollocks, frankly. That is a lie. What they're saying is, we did a thing, and customers bought it, so we think there is customer demand for that thing. Despite the fact that most of the time they don't tell the customer what they're buying. Yeah, they don't tell you when you're buying a um, when when you're taking up like a loyalty club or anything that they're harvesting your data, and they're certainly not telling you when you buy a Vizio TV. Slap there straight on the box is is this TV is cheaper because we 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 know everything you watch. Yeah, I don't care how much they claim that they're open on privacy. That is not stated baldly anywhere in the interface of the TV or in the manual or on the box. So people don't know what they're getting. And most people, when you say, would you like a cheaper TV, then we can give you a TV that's $30 cheaper. Would you like that? They go, yeah. If you say, would you like a TV that's $30 cheaper, but it knows everything you're watching all the time and is reporting that back to another company, most people will go, oh, I'd rather pay the extra $30. And they know that. But I don't think it's thirty dollars. No, whatever it is. But I, I think it's I think it's five hundred dollars. I, well, I, I, I do. I, but the thing is, the thing is, Vizio aren't the only one in cheap TVs, and not everyone is doing this. Mm, I would say probably most of them are doing it at this point. If it's a smart TV, I think almost all of them are doing it. Well, that goes back to what I'm saying. Is, that, is that's when I prefer to have the option to get a, a manufacturer box and turn off all the smart TV functions on the TV. But that assumes that the manufacturer's box isn't doing exactly the same thing. Do you think Apple's box is doing that? Do you think Amazon's box is doing that? Doing content yes. recognition? Absolutely, because that's how they give you recommendations. And it doesn't when you're watching Netflix. No, it's but giving that, you recommendations yeah, but this, based this, on... Yeah, but this, is, this, is, this technology is different. This is not the TV knowing what you're watching when you've clicked on something. I know, it's sharing it with outside... Places. Well, it's not I, only I that. It. If you're watching terrestrial TV, it's analysing the picture and figuring out what you're watching, and then reporting that back. That's what it's doing. It's not. It's not linking. Obviously, yet yeah, it has to know what you've clicked on on Netflix in order to be able to play it. Um, and maybe it's taking that feed as well. Obviously, Netflix knows what you're doing, but maybe it's taking that feed and sending it out as well. That's creepy enough, the fact that they might be taking your Netflix data and sending it out somewhere else. But if you read this article, it's doing content analyzing on the TV. So basically, if you're watching the, t- the, the, uh, the terrestrial TV uh, and you flick on the news at uh, 5 in the afternoon... Yeah, and then you stay through to the the uh, commercial news programs or everything, and then you watch, I don't know, Jeopardy at 7.30. The TV knows that and is telling Vizio what you did. Okay. People would not pay $500 more, uh, $500 less to be spied on. Nobody would say, oh, you know what, I'm prepared to do that. Very few people would be prepared to do that. I, I think the majority of the people would do that. I think at this point in time, we're used to uh, that kind of behavior being both known and monetized. I think, quite honestly, David, anybody under 50, when they see TV rankings and how many people watch this, and I think they just assume that, oh, if I watch something, they know I'm watching it, and that's how they're getting those figures. I don't think they realize that stuff like Nielsen ratings depend on 
someone filling out a little card or clicking a little thing and or having a little box that is watching what you're watching and reporting back and that's you're opting into that i think most people think that's already happening already yeah but the the difficulty i have is it's not just the content is it it's the ads the tv is reporting will also be reporting about what ads you've seen well and then then which one's being broadcast they don't know if you're actually watching it no, yeah, but they're reporting that data back, and then advertisers respond on that. Political people respond to political ads. It's the point is this is a thin end of of a, a pretty large and horrible wedge that I don't think we should just sleepwalk into. You know, it, well, this guy, I agree this with guy you there. says, I just think yeah. most people are okay with it. I really do. This guy says, this is about post-purchase monetization of the TV. Yeah, he says, I don't care how much money I make on the TV. I just want to cover my costs, but then I need to make money off those TVs. They live in the house for seven years. The average of a lifetime of a Vizio TV is 6.9 years. Uh, And then go, um, our strategy is that we want to make things backward compatible, so we continue investing on the TVs to bring them up to a feature-level comparison with the new TVs. Right, and the reason why we do that is there are ways to monetize that TV, and data is one, but not the only one. You make a little money here, you make a little money there. Uh, you sell some TVs, you sell some ads. That's basically what they're doing. They're monetizing you, and people don't know it. And the problem with you being monetized is that you sleepwalk into it, and before before you know it, yeah, they're doing horrible things to you. They're doing things you don't want to do. It's not about targeting ads, which frankly is a crock anyway, because nobody ever really properly targets ads with this data. It's about feeding that money to life insurance companies. It's about uh, feeding that money, to, the, feeding that data to employers. Yeah. Oh, you watch you, you watch um, Fox News a lot. Maybe you shouldn't work here. You know, we don't have those sorts of values. Yeah, that's that's where Possibly. we that's where we that's where ultimately we get into because there's nothing to stop companies doing this while they think they can make money. Yeah, they have no. They, this is the problem with the advertising industry. It's the problem with the marketing industry. Is they have no moral scruples at all beyond how much money can we make. Yeah, the only time they develop any moral scruples is when people call them out for it. Well, speaking of moral scruples. Do you see that Google is getting share or getting sued by uh, some of their shareholders? Yeah. And I personally think this is really good news. Yeah, this is uh, one uh, uh, Attorneys in San Francisco representing an Alphabet shareholder are suing the board of directors for allegedly covering up se- sexual misconduct claims against top executives. The suit comes months after an explosive New York Times report detailed how Google shielded executives accused of sexual misconduct, either by keeping them on staff or allowing them amicable departures. For example, Google reportedly paid Android leader Andy Rubin a $90 million exit package, despite asking for his resignation after finding sexual misconduct claims against him credible. The new lawsuit filed in California's San Mateo County asserts claims for breach of fiduciary duty, abuse of control, unjust enrichment, and waste of corporate assets. The attorneys say uh, the attorneys say the lawsuit is a result of an extensive original or an extensive original investigation to non-public evidence and produced copies of internal Google minutes of Alphabet's board uh, oh wait uh, from board meetings. The directors wrongfully conduct allowed what? 
the director's wrongful conduct allowed illegal conduct to proliferate and continue. As such, members of the Alphabet Sports were knowing and direct enablers of sexual harassment and discrimination. Um, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, it but is. But I can't see where they're wrong. Because it's now public knowledge that the the claims... Just Let's just take Andy Rubin for a minute. Google pretty much said, yeah, this happened. Yeah. They paid him $90 million dollars to get him to leave. That was his exit. They gave him $90 million and he was sexually assaulting people. Yep. How is that okay on any level? Well, not only that, the worst thing is that to maintain the optics of um, taking action against sexual harassment, if you're a low-level employee at Google, you just got kicked out of the company with nothing if you were accused of sexual harassment. Or you were found as sexual harassment. Now, don't get me wrong. That's the right thing to do, but that should apply up and down the management chain. Yeah? Absolutely. So yep. you can't have... Yeah, this, the, the other pro- problem is, is, yeah, the inequity of the fact that people at the top, they have big, long investigations, and the people continue to work while they investigate, and, you know, even, even then, and uh, you suspect that there's a higher bar of proof required to actually make them get rid of somebody and yeah when they do they they give them the golden parachute they give them mm-hmm. everything they're entitled to do under under their contract and their contract well, it's a good old boys club yeah exactly and it yeah and there's a very a very heavy hint of well you know what i'm sorry andy but we've really kind of got to do this it doesn't look good otherwise you know yes um, exactly yeah so but but don't worry we'll make sure we see you right on your way out whereas you know joe schlub down in in uh, uh you know, down in low-level marketing or somewhere, who has an unfortunate ha- habit of patting his female colleagues on the backside, yeah, um, and and can't can't for some reason can't get away from that, yeah, is pushed out the door straight away. Now, as I'm saying, I think any sort of activity like that is unacceptable, and it has to be dealt with strongly and smartly. But you really have to you have to deal with it consistently. Otherwise, yeah. you're you are allowing the guys at the top to get away with it. You know, and that's exactly what they've done is yeah. from from the optics looking inward, from what I can personally see, it looks like um, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you're naughty, but here's a bunch of cash. Yeah. And and while they're doing the investigation, no, you're, it's fine. We're, we're going to look into this. It's going to yeah. take a couple months, continue to work, continue to make us money. But the low-level schlub, well, there's an investigation, so we're going to have to put you on a administrative leave without pay while this yeah. is being investigated. Yeah. There's definitely, you know, a, a bias here that unfortunately I, I think isn't just, it's not Google. No, it's, 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 it's every big corporation worldwide. I think, I think, it, I think it's even, it's not even every big corp. It's every corporation. It's every company. Unfortunately, we've kind of, assumed that sexism would have gone away we assumed that it kind of you know we all kind of grew out of it and unfortunately we it thought the same thing about racism after yeah. the united states elected the first black president but yeah but the, the yeah. problem is is that a lot of people still have this sort of attitude um mm-hmm. and and that sort of attitude it's, it's human nature that if if somebody you like and know is accused of something like that you're going to deal with it a different way than somebody who's just a number on a spreadsheet yeah you know well and it and it yeah it's got to be called out and and 
this won't be the last of these sorts of uh, suits, unfortunately. Uh, and I and I hope they win. I hope they um, that Alphabet gets taken to account for this. Me too. And unfortunately, the way you punish companies like this is money. Yeah, that's the only thing they care about anyway. So hit them where it hurts. That's the wallet. Uh, speaking of not hurting, though, did you see this news? Now we do cover video game stuff occasionally here, um, but I thought this was really great. Uh, quite a few years ago, as you remember, David, Activision purchased Bungie, mm-hmm. and I was not happy about it. Bungie, of course, um, started as a Mac game developer. Uh, they created this game that was going to come out on the Mac called Halo. And then, of course, uh, Activision, well, that was much later. Well, regardless, uh that came out on Xbox, and they became a great big developer. They get acquired by Activision. It's the merging of two titans. Um, n- nobody knows business uh, the business aspects of video games better than Activision. Nobody does. Well, maybe one. Um, and for them to get their claws into what I thought was one of the most talented game developers out there, I thought was a bad thing. And I think that history has shown now that that was a bad thing they had complete control over the studio um they demanded that they release stuff really before things were ready uh they were on such schedules that it it was counterproductive for bungie to make great stuff and quite honestly their their content was not great because of it so the news this week is developer bungie and publisher activision are splitting up in an industry shaken divorce uh, that will see the standard world shooter series Destiny enter fully into Bungie's control. Now, I don't play Destiny. No, I, it's not. It's not my thing. I tried to play it. Um, I found it incomprehensible. Um, it's you know they, these 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 world building MMOs. I I just yeah they just don't don't grab me at all. No, and I think that I think this is something. I think this is going to lead to something that Bungie wants to do. I think they long-term want to get away from Destiny. Uh, I think they're getting their ass kicked, quite honestly, by Fortnite and other games that are much more popular than Destiny is. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, they recognize it, and they want to go a different direction. Activision didn't want them to. They think this no. is a golden goose. they got to keep going more and more and more of the same. And I don't think, as a game developer, you don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over and over. That's kind of why they gave up the the Halo thing to Microsoft. They're like, yeah, you can keep that. Yeah, um, and and yeah, the problem is is that is that Activision's business strategy. They talked about it on the last the last time they talked about Destiny Two. They said it was disappointing in terms yeah. of, and they talked about re, you know the different ways they might be able to monetize the players and refinance the players and everything. And then it becomes it becomes not a creative endeavor. It becomes you know what, what new yeah what new business schemes can we can we put on the players and that, the. The thing I really don't like about this sort of game is that it is all about that. It's the structure of the game is all about monetizing the game, um, rather than making the game fun to play. And the you know the it make, and it does make them incredibly complicated. Any time I open up one of these free games and I see two or three different schemes going on, there's a monetization scheme where you can buy stuff, pay to play, and then there's tight there's uh, en- energy timers to basically allow, make you pay to be able to keep playing. 
Um, and then there's a whole grinding mechanic as well. You see two or three of those things put together and you just kind of go, oh, you know what, I can't be bothered with this. It's too complicated. The beauty of Fortnite is it is completely and utterly simple. You, pay the, yep. you play the game, the content changes all the time and everything, but you know what, the only thing that's monetized is the, is the you know, the add-ons. The passes yep. and the and the and the um, objectives and and then the cosmetic skins stuff. and yeah. yeah, you know the develop uh, this development comes after years of tension between the two companies tensions that has existed before the first Destiny even shipped. Bungie, the studio that created and has led development on the franchise, told employees during a team meeting this afternoon, which was uh, Friday, framing it as a fantastic news for a studio that has long grown sick of dealing with its publishers. Uh, employees cheered and popped champagne, according to one person who was there. One of the most significant tensions between Bungie and Activision has long been the annualized schedule, which mandated, mandated, that's right, mandated, the release of new Destiny games or expansions every fall. Now separated from Activision, Bungie will no longer be constrained by to that schedule. We'll continue to develop on the existing Destiny roadmap, and we're looking forward to releasing more seasonal experiences in the coming months, the company said, as well as surprising our community with some exciting announcements about what lies ahead. Um, so what lies ahead means, in my opinion, they're not just talking about Destiny stuff here. I think oh. Bungie wants to get creative. They want to do their own thing. This is the way to do it. They can find another publisher. And, yeah. and they don't have to enter into a subservient role to do so. The pro- yeah, the, the flip side, of course, is that self-publishing big games is hard Very and expensive. expensive. Um, yeah. And, you know, Bungie has had several masters. The, the question then is, how, often, how, long, how long do they remain independent? Or do they just go away and develop something new, and then in order to publish it, they allow themselves to get acquired by Sony or somebody else? Yeah, time will tell. Yeah. Um... So I, I think that's good news. Um, sticking with video games for a second, there's a game that's called Fallout 76, and it's I've never played it. It doesn't look interesting to me at all. I mean, it looks kind of meh. Who cares? But there's a story out there that this is one, another one of those online shoot everything, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't know why anybody even develops these anymore. To this extent, I mean, if everybody else is doing it, do something different. There's a there's a clue. Do something different. Um, so, players found a secret developer room in the game, mm-hmm. and if you go into this room, you you basically have everything, everything that you could possibly work towards in this game. All the great weapons and all this kind of stuff, and you can go in there and you can get all this stuff. It's it's in the system. They left it in there. In the shipping product, a developer room. Yeah. And now Bethesda, the company that makes this game, is ticked off and they're banning anybody who goes in there. Yeah. Um, how dare you? How dare you screw up something like this and then ban players because they go into this? Now, my understanding of reading the story is you kind of got to hack the game a little bit yeah. to even access this room. But the point is you left this in the game. You left it. You left yourself open to this kind of behavior, and now you're going to ban players who purchased the game from going into to, to uh, taking advantage of something that you screwed up. 
yeah, this is, this is the difficulty is with these games is that you know, and, and I've railed against this before. These ones that, that mean that you have to play online in order to play yeah. the game, yeah, yep. gives a lot of control to the developer, and they can ban- yeah, they can basically invalidate your purchase by banning your account. It, yep. it is a little bit, very slightly grey in this case because they are doing a little bit of game hacking to get access to this this room, um, and. I'm sure that must breach some terms of service. So I'm sure from a legal point of view, Bethesda feel that they're um, justified in doing this. But you really, the smarter thing to do it to to do it to do would be to just basically do something to the game to fix the problem. Exactly. Remove access to remove access to the developer room. Yeah, and put it on a different server. Log anybody who gets into it and send them a strongly worded email. But don't ban them, you know. Well, the the flip side of that is that this game has been hammered uh, yeah. by critics and gamers alike since it came out. I mean, yeah. it seems like it was a rush product. Um, it, it's not very good from everything I've read. I've never played it. I don't know. Uh, but it's already got extremely, extremely bad press. Uh, some people are calling it one of the worst games of all time. Um from what's supposed to be a triple A title, yeah, uh, you, you couldn't ask for worse PR, and then you do this. That's pretty stupid. Yeah, but. I mean, holy crap! Could could you make more bad business decisions if you tried? Yeah, it doesn't seem like it. No, I, no it's. Uh... Um, let's talk about good decisions, David. Let's let's go into uh, a different topic here. Okay, less news, more fun stuff. Like we said at the beginning, the show could be whatever we want it to be. I posted something up on Facebook, my personal Facebook account last night. I don't know why. I was feeling kind of nostalgic. I was watching some stuff. And I started thinking about what are my top television shows of all time. Now, this is kind of a fluid list because, you know, things change. Your opinions change. Your tastes change. But these are the kind of the sh- these are the shows that... I wanted to rank them as of last night, although once you get past the top four, maybe even three, it can be kind of fluid. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so I actually wrote this down, and I thought this would be kind of fun to talk about on the show, and then with a caveat that you need to make your own list, and we'll talk about your list next week. Uh, and I, I, looking at the list, I would have to say that my list will be very, very different because many of these shows I've never watched. Yeah, perfect then. So, yeah. Great topic. So this is what I wrote. Top 10 greatest television shows of all time? Question mark. Uh, now, this is the list of shows that I enjoyed the most. Some are not great TV shows, but I love watching it and every new episode. And my list can be fluid between blah, blah, blah. I just said that. Yeah. So here it is. Number one. It's actually a tie. Breaking Bad and The Sopranos. I think, in my mind, they are tied for the greatest show of all time. And quite honestly, they're, they have one thing in common. And I think that networks and places like Netflix and HBO should really pay attention to this. Because I think it's extremely important. Both of these shows, while they had great actors and fantastic writers and the cinematography was unparalleled. They had one thing in common, and that is they were a singular vision by one creative genius. Yeah. 
there was a showrunner who knew how it started, what happens, and how it ends. Uh-huh. And both of these shows ended at the very peak of their popularity. They could have kept going for another 10 years each and made money. But the studios were completely hands-off with these shows. David Chase created The Sopranos, and it was his vision. And HBO basically let him do anything he wanted. He had 100% creative control. And when you watch The Sopranos, you get it. You can tell. This has one vision behind it. It's not a team of writers coming up with ideas. It's this one guy. And he was and is uh, brilliant. Now, what, can he repeat that brilliance in another show? I don't know. But I know that The Sopranos is the greatest show of all time, tied with Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. And both of those had one guy in charge the whole time. And they ended it on their terms. I think that says something, don't you? Yeah. I, 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 I Look, many... Um Many British shows are created like that. They're actually often written by one one person um, or, or one or two people. And uh, our shows often tend to be shorter for that because, you know, so some of the classic British shows are, are, are done in the same way. And uh, the, the difficulty now is that uh, much as like we've been talking about with the gaming industry, sometimes studios have a different view of what a franchise or a property should do and that causes conflict and showrunners end up leaving for reasons of creative differences and that weakens the products uh, as a long as in the long term sometimes you do have to let things play out and take a risk and yep. I, I think you could argue with with some of these shows you're talking about that they were risky in terms of how they started and how they were developed and uh, and particularly the risk of ending them uh, what uh, when well some people would say prematurely, prematurely but i would say ex- well it, it, because here's the thing when you read a book it has a beginning and end, a middle and an end and that's the way it's supposed to be whereas uh, i think a lot of people think of tv shows where it's going to go until it becomes less popular and then it gets canceled hmm. i don't think that's the way it should go i think that's exactly the opposite of what great television should be you should never have a jumping the shark moment yeah because if you have the show never really had a vision. It was just there to feed the advertisers. And I think these two first shows, Breaking Bad and Sopranos, prove that. My number two show is actually another tie. And here's the funny part. They were both created by the same person, although he lost control of one show um, partway through, and it, it kind of showed. Um, Aaron Sorkin created both of these shows, West Wing and The Newsroom. I loved both of these shows. Uh, the West Wing, obviously, he did lose control of that show, mm-hmm. and it wasn't as good. And it did take a big hit. Although I think the last season was really, really good, it still wasn't as good as when Sorkin was in charge. And the newsroom, I think, was only on for three seasons um, before it ended, but Sorkin was in charge of all three seasons, and that was another great show. I absolutely adored both of those shows. Now, West Wing had some filler episodes in later seasons, which is like, meh, okay. But the level of acting and storytelling uh, in the West Wing was just unsurpassed. I mean, with the exception of, obviously, Breaking Bad and Sopranos. But it was fantastic. It just was so good. And if if you never watched the West Wing, watch it. I mean, it's how you wish the American presidency really was in real life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> or any leadership role. That's how you. That's how you really wish it would be. Um, so that, that's tied for number two. And then after this point, there's no more ties. Number three is Halt and Catch Fire. Did you ever end up watching that? I didn't know. I th- you would really like it. I mean, yeah. this show takes place in the technology world. Duh. So, of course, I'm going to love it. Uh, and it starts in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I said 80s or 70s? No, 80s. And the first season is really about this small company. And it's kind of based on compact a little bit. Yeah. Uh, they're going to reverse engineer a Windows PC. Well, it wasn't even Windows. It was an IBM PC. Yeah. Um, and the business that springs up around doing so. Now, they take an existing company, and they have uh, this guy that they hire. He's kind of a maverick, and he kind of does it on his own. And um, and each season, there was four seasons, uh, focused on something different. You know, the last season, for instance, was them trying to figure out what this Internet thing is going to be. And mm-hmm. they get it wrong, but they also get it right. And it's just, it, it's really character driven and it's just so well acted. And it really is a, a product of the time that it was made in or made for. It yeah. really does feel like the 80s and then the 90s. It's just, I loved Halt and Catch Fire. And it came out of nowhere, to be honest. I, this show should not have been on television. It should not have been as successful as it was. It should not have the the following that it does yeah because it doesn't make any sense for a show like this to i I can't believe it got greenlit and yet it did and it was great uh number four rescue me this is not a show for everybody yeah i'll be the first to admit there's a lot of people listening to the show would hate rescue me uh i like dennis leary and dennis leary is one of the showrunners and he's the star of the show it's about a new york firefighter who um is struggling with alcoholism to a certain extent with um, what happened at 9-11. You find out in the very first episode that he sees his cousin who died in Uh 9-11. And and that's a reoccurring theme. He sees dead people and he talks to them. Now, of course, it's just in his head, but that doesn't make it any less real. And the acting is great. There was a couple fillers for a while there, but... I, I really liked it. The the goofiness of the show, the crass humor at parts. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed Rescue Me. Um, number five kind of harkens back to the beginning of this list. Breaking Bad, of course. But number five is Better Call Saul. I got a feeling that this will probably move up to the number two spot over time because this is an ongoing show. Better Call Saul is a prequel to Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. And there's been episodes that I thought it was as good, if not better, than anything Breaking Bad has done. Um, Odenkirk, who stars in it as, a, as this lawyer, Saul Goodman. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched any of this, but... No, I haven't, is- because, because, I, because I didn't watch Breaking Bad. Kind of, you know, I, I never... I, you don't have to, though. That's the nice no, thing. No, I, I understand that, but... Um, no, I just, it's just, you know, too many TV shows, not enough time. <laughs> Number six is a massive guilty pleasure of mine. It really is. It's not great acted. <laughs> it really isn't. Yeah. Uh, the characters are way over the top. It's based on tropes that I usually can't stand, but there's something about this show that I just really dug, and that's Entourage. 
it's not a great show. Mm-hmm. And remember, this is just the shows that I enjoyed watching. Uh, it was an HBO show. It is not for kids. Um, but I enjoyed it. And they kind of wrapped up the series with a movie that came out a few years ago. And I was happy about that. Uh, number seven is a show I'm sure you have watched, and that's Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, we're coming up on the last season. I can't wait to see how it ends. Um, I don't generally get into big epic shows like this. They kind of event TV really, nah, I don't care. But yet Game of Thrones has surpassed. Every time a new episode comes out, I almost don't want to watch it. I want to wait until there's a couple more and then kind of just veg out and watch it all together. It, it's um, it's very. I I find Game of Thrones very interesting because I've I'm about halfway through the books and then I've watched the first couple of seasons uh, and and as it goes on it it diverges away from the story of the books. Um, it does. And I, and well, they're I, ahead I, of the books in the show now. Yeah, I th- I think it's very very clever how it's done because they took something that and the first season is it basically mirrors the plot of the first two books. Um, uh, the first book very very closely indeed um, and, he, and it's interesting you've read the first book and then you watch the TV show it's kind of well it's okay you know it doesn't really grab you but the, but the thing is what what comes out in both the books and the TV show is the richness of this world that um, that Martin created uh, yeah. and, and then they've had the courage to divert away from the source material to make better TV um, and uh, and I, I find that extremely interesting. And yeah, I mean, he, he is the modern day Tolkien, isn't he? Hey, uh, pretty much. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people have kind of, certainly in terms of, of success and recognition, uh, he's not he's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And actually, uh, I I found a couple a couple of things in the first couple of books really really irritating about his writing style. But um, you know, so he's not the world's best writer. But his vision of of you know, creating World a building. yeah, creating a fan and, and that's the other thing as well. When it first starts, the, there's, it's got elements of fantasy in it, but it's really very restricted. It's very much you know, kind of like it could be it could be set in uh, you know middle 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 ages Britain or early middle right. ages Britain. But then the fantasy element starts to develop, and it's a very slow burn. And that's yep. kind of what's clever about it. And then, of, of course, you know, he's got these incredibly powerful characters. His characterization is excellent. Um, yep. And then because they're... It is the Game of Thrones, because they're constantly vying for position, and some of them have good luck, some of them have bad luck, and all of this sort of thing. It's actually very engaging to see, because you want to get... Who's going to be the winner? Because at the start of it, any of them could be the winner. You know, it's it's very it's very cleverly done, but I think you know, hats off to the HBO team for not only realising the world very well with some some great um, casting choices, but also recognising that you know what they they didn't have to slavishly follow the books. And also credit to George Martin, who's associated with the TV show, for saying, "Yeah, if you want to change it, that's fine with me." You know, yep, I'll even work with you to make right sure that, they, that we yep. tie it up at the end. You know, uh, number eight is Californication. Now, I've never been a huge David Duchovny fan. I was never all that much into X-Files. I was just like, yeah, it's all right. And I saw him a couple movies. Uh, the only movie I really liked him in was um, uh, Evolution, mm-hmm. which was a screwball comedy. Yeah. But when Californication came out, uh, I didn't watch it immediately. I think I picked up on it in halfway through the second season. And 
<clears throat> not for kids. Yeah. <laughs> this is definitely a, an adult half hour show, but uh, I'm not even going to try to describe it. He's basically a writer in LA and he's got issues Yeah, and he makes some really bad decisions, but really the whole season or the whole series is about him trying to rectify and get back together with his wife, um, who quite honestly shouldn't take him back. Um, she should move on with her life. Uh, but he, she truly is the love of his life, but he just keeps screwing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and the debauchery ensure, ensues. It's, it's, I always liked it. It was just a really fun show. Uh, I liked it a lot more than I should, but it's kind of the guilty pleasure on par with Entourage. And honestly, I probably have those in, in reverse order. I think Californication is a better show than Entourage. It should be number six, and Entourage should be number eight. Right. Uh, number nine, this actually goes up towards the top of my list half the time, but as I wrote this list, it didn't. And that's the Larry Sanders show. Uh, very set in the, the mid-90s, you know, yeah. when everybody seemed to have their own talk show. Talk shows were the thing then. And the Larry Sanders show... I thought was brilliant. It takes a look uh, behind the scenes of a talk show. And, you know, it's just one of those shows that I just loved it. I just, I I, I can go back and watch it because I I lived through that time period. So I get the jokes, but it does not on any level hold up nowadays. Uh, Gary Shandling, his type of dry humor uh, was kind of what drove the show. I mean, if you didn't like Gary Shandling, you're not going to like the Larry Sanders show. But I did, and I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, it, it, funnily enough, actually, because I, I think, um, you know, it's one of those things that because it dated, a lot of people kind of forget about it now. Um, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so a lot of stuff that's been done later, I, I think you'd argue that, that um, extras by... Uh, uh, what's his name by uh, Ricky uh, Ricky Gervais, um, yep. and and also The Office to an extent, but you know um, we're very much influenced by stuff like uh, oh yeah, like absolutely. the Larry show because you know they kind of took that same idea and and ran with it, and yet yet this this was something that was done, you know, was done in the in the uh, in the mid nineties. Yep. Yeah. Uh, on our, uh, number ten, Boston Legal. Um. This is a weird show in that it started as a spinoff from a, a show called The Practice, which I quite enjoyed. Mm. But the idea was, towards the end of the run of The Practice, they brought in uh, an actor, who James Spader, who blew everybody else out of the water as far as his acting and his on-screen charisma. I mean, it was almost unfair. And he was not a likable character. He did underhanded things to win cases and they wanted to get rid of this guy so bad, but they couldn't because he was so freaking good. And so they took this character, uh, on the practice and they, the, the rest of the practice, it's a law practice, sues him to fire him. And he brings in legal counsel in the form of uh, a lawyer called Denny crane. And Denny crane is played by William Shatner. And it is William Shatner at his very best. I mean, uh, how can I describe? He is a far right-wing, gun-toting Republican and hates liberals. And then yet, 
this other character is the opposite. He is a free speech, um, you know, government should provide hardcore liberal. And yet somehow these two work so well together. They become the very best of friends, almost family. Um, they should almost be gay and be and married. That's how good they are together. But yet they're not, obviously. They're just the very closest of friends. Um, so they took those two characters and started a new series called Boston Legal that completely blew away the practice on every single level. Now, this is episodic TV. No. This is each episode stands alone. Here's the case or a couple cases. Here's the court scene. Um, they did take the topics of the day and turn them into shows. Yeah. But it was done so well. I mean, this is what you'd actually want lawyers to be like. Well, maybe not Denny Crane, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I loved Boston Legal. Now, here's my honorable mentions for various reasons. The Amazing Race. And that's because my wife and I watched that together. That's our thing. The first two seasons of Everybody Hates Chris, which you've probably never seen. Um, no, it goes I, downhill after that. It go, does it? Yeah. yeah. The first two seasons are great. Then after that, it's like, yeah, okay. Uh, extras. That's a Ricky Gervais show, which I'm sure you've seen. I yeah. loved Extras. That was so good. Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Um, good show. I really liked it. Uh, curb your enthusiasm, but not not all of them. That's why it's only an honorable mentions. I can only take so much curb, mm -hmm. so much cringe worthiness. Uh, a show called Eureka. Have you ever watched that? Uh, I've watched some of it. I've watched some of the first season. I've never, uh, uh, I never watched the the rest of it. Campy sci-fi fun. Yeah, I, I just really liked it. Uh, a currently running show. I believe there's only two seasons called Atlanta. Yeah, um, that's the um, that's got the guy from Community. Danny Glover. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's fantastic. I mean, it, the acting is so well done. Um, sometimes they have something going on the whole season that they kind of rectify at the end, but not really. But there's a lot of standalone episodes, and there's episodes that you never see the main character at all. They they completely focus on a different character. It, it's really good. Uh, top Gear. Now, when I say Top Gear, I'm talking about the good Top Gear. <laughs> top Gear, not not the last couple seasons. That's been absolute rubbish. Um, I, I still watch some of the best of Top Gear on YouTube and stuff. I love Top Gear. Yeah, and I'm and I I really like the Grand Tour. Although, um, I heard on the, on the new season they're getting rid of the tent idea, mm -hmm. which I th and it's just road trip stuff, which. That's what people care about anyways. Nobody really cared about a celebrity driving around in a circle, and no one cared. Yeah. So so they're they're breaking it down to what makes it work. And it's those three guys in hijinks. That's what the show is the best at. Yeah. Flight of the Concourse. Have you ever seen that? I have seen one or two episodes of them, though I have seen the um, some of the movies that the guys did afterwards. I saw the um, the vampire movie they did what they yeah. do in the shadows, which yeah. I, th was, I thought was brilliant. Yep. Um, Flight of the Concords, there are two guys from New Zealand. They move to the United States, and they want to be musicians, kind of. But the you, you really have to understand their humor to get this show. And it's not for everybody, but I loved it. I believe there was only... It's either two or three episodes or uh, seasons, and that was it. And I believe they canceled it themselves. They decided not to do any more rather than getting canceled. And 
there was a big uproar. People wanted more of Flight of the Concords, including myself. I loved it. And the last honorable mention is Star Wars The Clone Wars, the only animated show that's on this list. Really, you could say that with the possible exception of Eureka, the only sci-fi anything yeah. on this list. Um, but I love The Clone Wars. Not every episode. The whole droids and kids thing. Ugh. Uh, but as an overarching series, I think it was every bit as good as the original trilogy. I love The Clone Wars. So that's my list. There you go. There Fine you go. list it is. And if you guys are looking at watching, binge watching, you've never seen some of these series, they every one of them has my recommendations with the caveats that I gave in there for not a kid's show or you might not get the humor or, but personally for me, these are my desert island. It has to be on my hard drive. I can watch these shows endlessly to the end of time and be happy. There you go. Can't have a better uh, recommendation than that. So we're with that. We're going to wrap up this episode, David. Cole has woken up and come downstairs, and he's trying hard not to make much noise. Yep. So I want to uh, relieve him of the burden of trying to be quiet. Uh, my my family is uh, apparently looking for lunch, um, and it, <laughs> it appears that lunch cannot be delivered without my attendance. There you go. So I'll see you next week, David. See you then.